Thank you, Andrew. Um, the answer to the last blank from this morning is drink. Okay, sorry, uh, did not intend to leave that off, but I did. But it's drink is what's supposed to be in there, drink of the Spirit. And uh, that's what we do in the body of Christ. We are provided for by Him all that is needed for the body to mature into the per- full person in Christ that God wants us to be. Um, I wanted to uh, also inform you about something that's going to be going on differently this year than in years past. We usually try to make a big deal about Resurrection Sunday uh, weekend, and uh, we have in for years now had a Good Friday service, and we also have an early service on Sunday morning at 730 We have breakfast after that as a church over in the gym, and then we have our regular service at 9.30, and that completes the activities for the day on Resurrection Sunday. So you can be planning for all of those things that will be going on around there if uh, you uh, do plan to be here and to attend. But also we're adding another element to that this year where we're planning on on Thursday night having a meal together as a church. So, and it's going to be in commemoration of the Last Supper that Jesus would have had with his disciples on Thursday night. And during that meal, at the end of it, we're going to break bread together, have the Lord's Supper, and do that on Thursday night, remembering what happened there, the the betrayal of Jesus. And then we'll come back together again on Friday night, remembering the crucifixion of Christ that would have happened earlier that day, and then we'll join back together on Sunday morning. So you can sort of plan accordingly as far as that goes, and I really need to get an email out on that to let everybody know what's going on there as well. But uh, So pretty much the same. We're just adding a different aspect of that with the Thursday night meal. It'll be a fellowship meal uh, over in the gym together, and we will probably uh, have the Lord's Supper there at those tables that we have set up. We don't have all the details on what the what the meal is going to be made up of yet, but we'll get get that out to you. Okay, brother David. Thank you. Yep, that was in my mind just a second ago, but it left. But yeah, we're not going to have a Wednesday night service that week. We'll, we'll forego the Wednesday night service, and we'll just get together on Thursday night and Friday night, and then back together on Sunday morning. Any questions on that? Yes, we are having the Sunday. It's, yeah, it's going to be normal Sunday morning, Sunday stuff. Normal as far as Resurrection Sunday, normal for us. 7.30, early service, 8.30, breakfast, 9.30, regular service. Any questions? Brother David? So we're not going to have small groups that day. Thank you. No, we're not having small groups on that day. Brother Dave, you should have just done this, okay? <laughs> Anything else I'm missing? Yeah, no Sunday night service. Okay. Well, uh, Miss Shirley Moss's funeral was yesterday. I had the privilege of officiating that. And then we also have had recently two additions to the church family uh, through birth, uh, Opal Broughton was born a couple weeks ago, and then uh, Evangeline Walding was born just recently as well. Uh, Both mom and baby are doing doing great, so we thank the Lord for that. All right, so what I need to talk to the church about tonight, and what we're going to do is, uh, during this time that we have together, do a study. It won't be a time of education 
for the church to remind us of some things pertaining to the subject of church discipline. And then uh, after we've kind of gone through this teaching time, then like I said, we will have a brief uh, break, a couple minutes to dismiss our visitors, and then the church will have to talk together about um, about a topic, that about an issue in the church. And I want to start by reading a couple of excerpts from our uh, Constitution and Bylaws or our Policies and Practice Manual for the Church to kind of give you an idea of what we're, where we're coming from. And then we're going to look at several different passages of Scripture because we want to go to the Bible uh, to make sure that we are grounded in the Word and that the Word is giving us guidance in the way that we conduct ourselves as a church. That is real, real important. We're not winging this thing. We're not trying to figure it out on our own. We fail. I know I fail too much just uh, uh, in my in my efforts as a pastor, but uh, we want to try to lean on the Word of God as much as we possibly can, especially on this issue of church discipline. Uh, in our, in our um, policy and procedures, we have number one here under church discipline, the purpose of church discipline, and I'll read this for you. If you would please listen carefully. It says the, <clears throat> let me pray for us before I do that. Father, we do commit this time to you and pray your word would be real clear to us tonight and pray we'd be educated by your word and through it, Lord, just grow up and become more mature. In Jesus' name, amen. So the purpose of church discipline is to maintain unity in the fellowship, give biblical accountability to one another, and to restore those who have fallen into sin. Now it's key there that it says restore those who have fallen into sin. And then it says, The purpose is not to unduly judge one another, but to care for one another and watch for the testimony of Christ and His church. Another important phrase, to watch for the testimony of Christ and His church. Um, next, we w- I'll, I'll move over to uh, number three, the reason for church discipline. And read this for you, uh, most of it. The church discipline is to be practiced when a brother or sister offends another or practices conduct that harms the testimony of Christ and his church. This conduct would include living in such a way that is in violation of biblical commands, including gossip, immorality, drunkenness, heresy, sowing discord, not striving to fulfill the role in the family as father, husband, wife, or mother, brawling, forsaking the assembling of the saints, or other commands of Christ and his apostles. Then I'll go ahead and read this next statement, the last one here. The level of offense should dictate the level of discipline and the publicness of the offense should dictate the publicness of the discipline. And then lastly, uh, the fourth point is church discipline is for restoration. It's important that we understand this, and I'll read it hopefully slowly enough for you to absorb it. It says, the purpose of church discipline is the restoration of an erring brother. If the situation can be dealt with between members of the church family, 
the issue needs to be handled privately and not discussed beyond those affected. If the situation must be approached by other witnesses, the matter should be handled with care and remain as private as possible. And then it says, if the situation must come to the church publicly, repentance and seeking forgiveness from the family of God must be expressed publicly. It is the responsibility of the church to forgive and minister to the repentant member that the situation may be corrected and fellowship restored. Okay? That is what our Constitution and bylaws, or as I'm trying to call them a little more often now, policies and practices of the church say. All right. Now, let's open our Bibles because we at this point want to turn to the scriptures. And uh, really, I'm just going to walk us through these. There's not a great deal of, you know, word studies and uh, things like that, in-depth study that really needs to be done on these. Because I think you'll see a consensus throughout these scriptures about the way the church is to deal with brothers who are sinning or um, acting in a... um, disorderly manner all right so what we're going to do here is and you might guess if you know anything at all about church discipline you know that the focal passage for church discipline is where it's in Matthew chapter 18 I think most of you know that if you don't know that please learn that tonight because Jesus Christ actually gave instruction to his disciples about how the church should handle offenses in the church This is one of two places where Jesus used the word church. He used it uh, here, and he used it in Matthew chapter 16 with Peter's great confession. He said there that upon this rock I will build my church. And here is the other place where Jesus used the word church. Um, So in Matthew 18, we're going to look at verses 15 through 20. And I'll read through this, kind of work through it with you. But it says here, moreover, if in verse 15, Matthew 18, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. All right, that's the best level right there of church discipline, one on one. You're offended. You go and talk to the person about your offense. He hears your offense and uh, reconciliation is made. They are, there's repentance and forgiveness of sins and the two brothers are joined together again in, in fellowship. Verse 16. And, and really that happens in families, okay? That right there can happen in families. If there is an issue in a family, even among siblings, What should you do as siblings? You ought to try this. You ought to try going to them and telling them their offense and try to work it out between yourselves. All right, verse 16. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Okay, verse 17. So 16 says, if he doesn't hear you, take somebody with you. Now verse 17. 
If he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. Then in verse 17. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So in verse 15, you got the best. You got a good way to go. And this is the most extreme. But the verse 16, take someone with you, two or three with you, that that whole matter can be established by two or three witnesses. And then in verse 17, if they do not hear them, bring it to the church. And now the idea here is that if they do not hear the church, and the way this works out is when a discipline, a member who needs to be disciplined by the church is brought to the church, there is a time for them to hear the church, for them to hear the warnings from the church, for them to be admonished by the church, and for them to realize, I've got to repent. Yes, I repent. And that fellowship is restored. It can begin with just two people, but it can spread. And... Jesus is dealing with that in this passage. Verse 18, he says, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. I think the New American Standard would translate this will have been bound in heaven. The perfect, I think the perfect tense. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then in verse 19, again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Remember, the context of this is dealing with offenses. It is church discipline, dealing with a sinning brother. And then now this verse that's most that is very often misquoted it might, I guess it could be misquoted. But in this context, he says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Jesus is saying this dealing with an erring brother, with a sinning brother, it, and you come together in my name to deal with that? Jesus says, I am there in the midst of them when the church gathers for that purpose. Okay, so that's kind of the foundational passage for church discipline. And we need to be educated on that as a church. Really need to know that that's there. Now what I want to do is to to go from that to go from that passage and kind of give you some instances in the New Testament where this works its way out. Because the thing that I've learned about church discipline and I think that we've learned about church discipline is that it, it's messy. It's not cut and dry. Boom 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 boom. It can just be messy dealing with the situations that arise in people's lives because of sin and uh, hopefully we'll see how this sort of works out here now take your bible if you would and turn to romans chapter 2 and we'll just work through here romans 2 why is it so important that the that we do this that we practice church discipline and maybe this will give us a little bit of an idea of that not to get a lot into the the context and all of this, but Brother David and I were talking about this before church tonight, and the word that he brought up here was hypocrisy, and that's really what the Jews are being accused of here is hypocrisy. And we'll just pick up at verse 21. 
Remember, Paul is writing to the Rome, to the church in Rome. It was made up of Jews and Gentiles. He's specifically addressing the Jews right here. But in verse 21, he says, You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? And then here's what he says in verse 24. This is the key verse that I would point out to you. For the name of God is blasphemed among you. I mean, I'm sorry, among the Gentiles because of you as it is written. So the conduct of the Jews caused the hypocrisy of the Jews caused the name of God to be blasphemed among the nations, among the unbelievers. And. Paul is addressing that here with the Jews. And when we come to deal with sin in the church, one of the reasons we do that is because we do not want the name of God, the name of Christ to be blasphemed among the unbelievers because of our sinful conduct or sinful conduct that we allow in the church. Does that make sense? Now, let's go to Romans 16. Romans 16, verse 17. These are kind of hidden in the Bible. Not really, but it's just because we read through these portions real quickly and we don't pay attention. If I could encourage you in something, when you're reading the end of the books, pay attention. Because there's a lot of good stuff there. If you think, well, I'm about done with this, he's just saying his goodbyes, repent. Okay? Slow down. Engage your mind. And listen and watch what you're reading because there's a lot of good stuff at the end of the books. All right. Romans 16, verse 17 and following. He says, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. And he says, For those who are such... Do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf and I want you to be wise in what is good. And simple concerning evil. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Now, back to the top of that in verse 17. After all of those greetings that he gives to the saints there in the church in Rome. Or, yeah, to the church in Rome. He then goes into this talking to them about the importance of avoiding certain people. And the people that they were to avoid 
were those who caused divisions and offenses. And those things are determined by sound doctrine, by the doctrine which they had learned. You see, the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ is that which determines what sound doctrine is. And if the conduct among the church is contrary to that sound doctrine, then that is what has to be either dealt with or avoided as a church. Now, if you would, turn with me to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Now, that one's kind of hidden there in the back. Brother Jacob, is there any good stuff in Titus? Yeah. A lot of good stuff there. And guess what? We're at the end of the letter. Titus chapter 3. It's taking y'all a little while to find Titus, I notice. Titus is one of the pastoral epistles. First first and second Timothy and Titus. And now we come to verse 9 of Titus chapter 3. He says, but avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Verse 10. Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. In the church today, we have this mentality of love, love, love. Oh, no, we cannot possibly take a chance on disciplining someone in the church. We've got to love them. We've got to love them. But that's not what the Bible lays out for what love is. Okay? And the Scripture gives us not here that we should just embrace them no matter what, but that we should actually reject and avoid. Now, let's go to the next one. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, if you would turn back with me. 1 Corinthians 5. First Corinthians 5, and we'll pick up at verse 9. It says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. The epistle that he's talking about there was another letter that he had written to the Corinthians. Verse 10, yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. In other words, he's saying that's what the world's made up of. You're not going to avoid those people in the world. But in verse 11, But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. 
For, he says in verse 12, what have I to do with judging those who are outside? In other words, Jesus says, I don't have anything to do with judging those who are outside. Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourself the evil person. You kind of see when it comes to dealing with sin in the church that Paul doesn't say, okay, we got to take Matthew 18. Now we're done, bam, 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 bam. It all depends on the situation and the circumstances. Ideally, Matthew 18 works itself out, but the church discipline and church sin is messy. And Paul sees what's going on here and he says, he, he, he judges it himself before, before that, even going through that process. Now, if you'll go down to chapter 6, verse 9. <clears throat> In chapter 6, verse 9, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Then he says to the Corinthians, And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So he lays out that list of those there. This is about three places in the New Testament where it gives us such a list of those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he says, you used to be that way. You should no longer be that way as a new creation in Christ. Now, if you would go with me to uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Second Thessalonians chapter three. That proves maybe my encouragement earlier about uh, paying attention to the end, because this is now another place where we come to the end of this short letter and find some important important instruction. Now, as we look at this, know that the uh, the situation, the sin, is a little different than what most churches would probably deal with. But if you'll hang with me through the reading of this all the way to verse 15, I think you'll see how it comes back around and the importance of this passage. All right, so we're picking up here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. He says, But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you. Paul says he set an example among them. 
This is not what I taught you. This is not the way a Christian ought to act. This is not according to sound doctrine. Verse 8. Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Verse 9. Not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear in verse 11 there, we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Oh, that's the issue they're dealing with, particularly right here. That was the disorderliness. Verse 12. Now, those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. Okay, notice we quote that verse often, but he gives that verse in dealing with people, members, brethren, who were walking disorderly. And he says, in doing good, do not grow weary in doing good. Because what you're doing is a good thing. Verse 14. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him that he may be ashamed. Okay, this next verse is important. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. All right, so on the one hand, we see here, do not keep company with him. Do not fellowship with him. We may have walked away from this text and say, do not eat with them. But on the other hand, we see here that because he names the name of Christ, we are to treat him as a brother and we are to warn him. The Bible says in another place, warn the unruly. And the church, when it has a brother who is in, or sister who is in sin, they need to be warned by the church. Every conversation that they have with church members, when they come into contact with them, they are to hear a word of warning. Have you repented? Are you following the Lord? Are you acting as you ought to be acting? Are you putting off the sin in your life? Are you pursuing Christ? Are you praying? Are you reading His Word? Are you serving? Are you at church? They are to hear warnings from the church. Rather than just fellowshipping, talking about the weather, talking about politics, talking about guns, talking about boats, talking about trucks, talking about whatever women talk about. You, you, you sh- homeschooling, you, you shouldn't. It shouldn't be that. It should be, what is your spiritual life like? Are you repenting of sin? Do you realize and recognize the sin in your life? Okay, so that's the idea there. We admonish them as the scripture here lays out for us. Uh, That's most of the text that I would share with you in regards to that. Um, And then finally, let's go to Galatians chapter 6.
Now, there's a lot more, you know, as we could look at these passages. I'll just uh, mention some to recall to your mind. You can think about, you know, in a marriage relationship, Ephesians chapter 5, Colossians chapter, uh, let's see, is it 3, and um, 1 Peter chapter 3. We see the importance of the marriage relationship. The husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. The wife is to respect her husband, to submit to her husband. So in that relationship, uh, that is so foundational to the church, to our society. We can think about Romans chapter 12 for every Christian is to be one who is not conforming to the world, but what? Being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And let me tell you, when we see a brother or a sister going down toward conformity to the world, what should we do? We should seek to turn them back from their sin. Because what what does James say? He who turns a brother from the error of his ways... Turns a brother from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. He says, brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. It's wandering, wandering through the world, being like the world, wandering from the truth. And someone turns him back. Let him know that he turns a sinner from the error of his way and will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And we think also of 1 John chapter 2, where he says, Do not love the world or the things that are in the world, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. You see, there's so many passages that are applicable to our conduct as Christians and why we must look out for one another. What did I tell you all Galatians chapter 6? So in Galatians chapter 6, it says here, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. All right. So we'll we'll end there with our study. Let's go ahead and pray. And, um, you know, the reason all these things are true for the church is because of that sound doctrine of the gospel of Christ, who he is and what he did. And that gospel is powerful to save, even on a night where we're talking about a topic like this. I pray you'll see your need for Christ and that we all will be reminded of his perfection. Lord, thank you for your word, these texts that we've been able to look over. Lord God, there's nothing really complicated about these. I pray that we would receive them as they they are written. And God, that we have the wisdom to apply them appropriately and lovingly and gently in this congregation. I pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.